Good morning, everybody. What do you do with that extra hour of sleep? Did you use it or did you wake up at the same time? <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, so uh, not to state the obvious, but I'll go ahead and do that. You're in a church service today. Oh, man, where am I? Is that where I'm at? So what, but my question then would be, what got you to church? Not necessarily today, though maybe if it is your first time here at Connection, welcome, glad you're here. But what got you going to church for the first time ever? You think back to when that was, maybe it's today, that'd be great. I think back to my, I have to go back to my grandparents' generation. They talk about when there were churches, they would do these things called revivals. Sometimes it'd be a week long, my grandparents' generation, sometimes it'd be two weeks long. Sometimes they took place in a tent, they have a big tent revival. Somebody would, a guest preacher or speaker would come into town and stay with a family in the church, and every night there'd be a revival meeting, and everybody from all the town, even other churches, would come to the revival. And the preacher of that church would go around with the guest preacher, and they would go knock on doors every day and invite people to come to the service that night. Is this ringing any bells with anybody? Do you remember revivals, or are you kind of too young for that? Yeah. So revivals. Maybe that's the story of how you started going to church and how your family started going to church for the first time. It was through a revival. And revivals for a long time worked until they stopped working. Yeah, more to my generation, when I was a kid, our church that I started going to when my family started going to church had a bus ministry. Remember those, anybody? So the school district would sell a bus that they thought was no longer suitable to take kids to school, and our churches would buy them. <laughs> we had a 66-passenger school bus at our church. You paint the church name on the side of it, and people would go out and drive it and pick up all the kids on Sunday morning, bring them to church, sugar them up, shake them up, send them back home on the bus. I, I didn't come to church through the bus ministry, but I would go on our bus every Sunday. I loved it. My Uncle Dennis drove the bus. My cousins and I would sit in the very back behind the rear axle because if Uncle Dennis, driving out to the boonies to pick people up, went over the railroad tracks too fast, oh, if you're behind the rear wheels, you hit that thing. The goal was to see if you could get your head to hit the ceiling of the bus. That was awesome. And for many years, a lot of people came to church, and they could say, yeah, the first time I went to church was on the bus, and it was great. And bus ministries for a long time worked until they stopped working. After I got baptized at my home church and I got a little bit older, my preacher would invite me to go with him to go calling and knocking on doors, which just sounds so weird now, doesn't it? But there was a time in American life when somebody knocked on your door, you answered the door, and you actually invited the person in, and maybe you made coffee, and that was that era when I was a kid, and uh, my preacher would ask me to go, and sometimes if I knew the house we were going to, and I knew it was somebody I knew, I would pray they weren't home. I go to school with this kid. <laughs> it's a little awkward. But I do still to this day remember going to one family's house. They weren't Christians. The guy had been injured in an on-the-job accident, and somebody who was a friend of his from our church said, you need to go call on this family. So my preacher and I went. We sat in their living room, answered questions, opened the Bible, talked about Jesus. That family came to our church. They got baptized. They, for years and decades, have been a part of my home church now. And I was there for the very first conversation because sometimes knocking on doors got people to come to church. And maybe that's your story, and that's how you started going to church. And it worked until it didn't. Let's fast forward to the early days of this church. Some of you are here, and you've been here since day one, and you know what we did before we ever started. We put our money where our mouth was. We spent a lot of budget to invite people to our church. We sent out, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of thousands of postcard invites. Maybe you got one. Maybe you still have one. We sent it, like we put a pin on the map. We started at the KC Hall in Cottleville, and we just did like a 10-mile radius, so Darden Prairie, O'Fallon, Cottleville. We just sent out invitations saying, we want you to come to our church. 
And it was amazing to us how many people would get that and just hold on to it. It would sit on the refrigerator for six months or a year. Something would happen. They'd go, we need to get to church. Where's that postcard we got from that church? And they'd show up. We had one postcard. I love this one. It's one of my favorites. It's a little dated, but it just said church clothes, a pair of blue jeans. And I got so many good phone calls about that. Like, you mean I can really come to your church in jeans? Yes, you can. I got a few. I can't believe that you're allowing people to go to your church in blue jeans phone calls, too. And I'm like, God bless you, but they're not going to go to your church, so maybe they'll come to mine. Because we don't really think God cares what you wear when you go to church. He just wants you to be there. We're going to lower the bar in, in as many ways as we can to get people to come. And so we did postcards. The little coupon flyers you get in the mail, you flip through. We put in a coupon for a free Krispy Kreme donut. I can't tell you how many people came with that coupon. They, I don't have the heart to tell them we give Krispy Kremes to everybody. But here, give me your coupon. Here's your free Krispy Kreme. And, and we did so many other things. This is one of my favorite stories. We made robocalls. Sorry, don't judge. This is back like when you could still knock on people's doors and they would answer. People still actually answered their phone and go like, I don't know that number. I'm not answering that. But we, we just made these phone calls to every home in our area. And a lady who came to our church and she needed God in her life. And she said, I got your call, but I shouldn't have. Because we explicitly said we only want to call homes, not businesses. But she, she was a business owner, and she got a call at her place of business at the exact right time. Her family needed God desperately. And she said, and she's like crying as she's listening to this message about, you know, there's a new church starting. We want you to be there. And she came, and her whole family came. And it was just wonderful. Things like that, man, it worked until it didn't. How many things do you get in your mail that you just go, pfft? Chuck it in the trash. We're just tired of seeing junk mail. You see the phone number, you go, I'm not answering that. You know, it's just times are different. I'll tell you something else that a lot of churches have done. In the last few years, uh, many churches have sought to make a Sunday morning experience like what I described with the blue jeans. Let's lower every barrier that we possibly can, not compromising the Bible, but what can we do to help make it easy for people to come to church? So we did things to try to make the service very... Um, easily accessible, like uh, we explain things, we try to use relevant language, still the same things just to make it, if you don't have any background in the Bible, you don't have to feel stupid, it was relevant, we had good coffee and good music and all that stuff, and for a long time, real relevant reaching worked, because people are like, if they didn't go to church, they felt guilty, I either go to church or I feel guilty, but that, that world doesn't exist anymore, that used to work until it didn't. I guarantee you, there are people driving by on Fizey on Sunday morning. They drive by our building, and they don't think, as they see our building, wow, I really ought to be there. I feel guilty because I'm not in church. They feel about the building here like I feel when I drive past a golf course. Brace yourself. Some of you are going to feel very angry and triggered, but I don't like golf. And when I drive past a golf course, I don't think, gee, I really ought to be golfing more often because it's too much money to be that frustrated. It's, if you're a golfer, God bless you. Enjoy it. But I'm not a golfer, so I don't think of myself on the golf range. In the same way, people go, church is great for church people, but I'm just not a church person, so good for them. But nobody's sitting in their house going, I wonder if they've got good coffee and good music and a TED Talk, you know, at 10, 10 in the morning. I better get down there. Now, hopefully, if you come here, you like the experience. We really work hard to make this a place where when you come in, it's like we're obviously ready for new people. We're ready for guests. We want to do the best that we can to honor God and be relevant. But it just doesn't get people to church anymore. I guess what I'm saying with all these things from the revivals down to the church services, things have changed and things always change and what works in one era doesn't. It's, uh, it's one of my mentors would say, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. The principle of the gospel is always gonna be the same. How we present it to the world that needs God is always gonna be different. 
Having said that, I need to tell you that there is one thing that has always been effective and will continue to be effective at getting people to come to the church for the first time to hear about Jesus. And it worked in 1818, it worked in 1918, it works in 2018, it will work in 2118, and I'm going to be there to see it. Thank you for not laughing. People who come to church by this method, by far extent, continue to go to church for the second, third, and fourth time. Here it is, and you can write it down in your worship folder if you want to. People are most likely to go to church when a trusted friend invites them to go to church with them. When someone personally invites and brings a friend to church, they will go, and they will keep going. I want you to write this down. This is, this is shocking to me. It's sad to me. I don't know if you know this, but survey after survey has said that 82% of people say, yeah, I'd go to church if a friend invited me. Last year, how many people invited a church, uh, somebody who doesn't go to church to go to church with them? 2% of those who already go to church invited a friend to go to church with them. I see a little disconnect here, don't you? 82% of the people say, I'll go. It won't even be awkward. I'll just say yes. And we're just not inviting. What's up with that? So the, uh, by the way, I'm going to solve a mystery for you. Do you have one of these worship folders? Okay. I've had so many people ask me, what is that? That says, we church, not me church. I see a lot of you going, Oh, that's a W and that's an M. We Church, Not Me Church. That's the name of this series. And what we're doing here is we're saying it really is We Church, Not Me Church. It's not just all about me. Today we're talking about how bringing people to Jesus is everybody's job. It's not Brian's job. It's not the post office's job. It's not the robocall's job. It's all of our job. And I want to show you in the Bible where I come to that conclusion. So you got one of these. Got the smart map. Go ahead and find 2 Corinthians. I'll give you a little bit of time to find it. Number two, Corinthians, feel free to use the table of contents in your Bible. That's what it's there for. You're about three-quarters of the way through the Bible if you've got a paper version. If you don't have a paper version but want one, there's some on the table literally on the other side of that wall. And have it. It's yours. Put your name in it, and you've got a Bible. So 2 Corinthians in the Bible, uh, why this is in the Bible is this is a letter that was written by a man named Paul. He was an apostle, a leader, church leader, church planter. And he's writing to a lot of Christians that he knows, many of whom he led to Jesus himself. And he's just writing some teaching for them. So if you're looking through 2 Corinthians, the chapters are the big numbers as you're going through. And then each chapter has little numbers. Those are the verses. So you're looking for uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 17 to 21. But just to be completely, like for those of you who are a little bit more interested in this, the whole section of thought starts back in verse 11. You can go back and read it later. But I'm just going to go ahead and start in verse 17. And you can follow along on the screen if you don't have a, a Bible. So what it says here is that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. And the old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given this task to us of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And God gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for, God, for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, I know that's a lot of words. 
Uh, we're, keep your Bible open because we're actually going to walk through that. If you're taking notes, you can jot some stuff down as we walk through it. It'll probably make more sense uh, because it, it really does have a few thoughts here that as you start to read it over and over, you go, oh, yeah, I see that. First thing, let's just talk about God's purpose. That's in here. If you want to write this word down, what is God doing in the world today? It's all about reconciliation. One of God's overarching agendas for the world. It's to reconcile people. Like in verse 17, when it says that God brought us back to himself through Christ. He's reconciling us. And what does that mean? If you look down at verse 18, it says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So if you say, well, what is God's purpose in the world? I don't know. What, what is God doing? What's the meaning of life? Here it is right here. God is taking a broken, fallen world filled with sinful people who on their best days do the wrong thing sometimes, and he's fixing that. God is taking people who are messed up and things that are messed up, and he's making it right. He's restoring a relationship between God and humanity that got broken a long time ago. This goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, where it starts within the beginning. We're talking about our first parents, Adam and Eve. They started this. You think, well, why in the world is everything such a mess? It goes all the way back here to the beginning. Adam and Eve deliberately chose to disobey God, and it broke so many things. It broke God's heart. It entered, sin entered into the world, death, you know, sin holds the door open and death comes into this perfect creation and people die and, and, and things don't work right and the weather is horrible and just so many things. You go, why is it this way? Well, it's not God's fault. The world he made was perfect. We screwed it up. And we can't even just blame our first parents because we've all done things wrong too. None of us are perfect. None of us can say I'm bad at a thousand. And God doesn't look at us and go, I'm just gonna shut the door and start over. He says, no, I'm going to not only fix it, I'm going to reconcile with these people who are my enemies. They're enemies of God. We, I don't know if you ever think about yourself in that way, but outside of Christ, we're his enemies in our thoughts and in our behavior. God says, I could just leave you to your mess, but I'm not content to. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to reconcile humanity to myself. We're going to become friends. And this is amazing. He goes a step further, and he says, not only are you going to be my friends, you're going to be my family. I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to be your father. Jesus will be your brother. Amazing. That's God's purpose. So then you go, well, what's his plan? Again, we can walk through these verses and see that. God's plan, this is a long one. Just write it down. We'll talk about it. Substitutionary sacrifice. Substitute sacrifice. Like in verse 18, where he said, uh, where Paul is talking about this. Here's God's plan. This is a gift from God, this reconciliation who brought us back to himself through Christ. And then in verse 21, you get the nuts and bolts. How did that work? God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And I could just stop right there. And if that doesn't give you goosebumps, just give it a little bit. This is amazing. There is never in a million years you could expect to deserve something as gracious as what God has done for us. Jesus, I don't know if how you think of Jesus and how you envision him and picture him. A lot of people think that he started when he was born 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus pre-existed all of that. He was God. In the very beginning, he was already there. Jesus was the son of God, completely God. He gave all that up 2,000 years ago to become a human being. The son of God became the son of man did something nobody's ever done. Like he batted a thousand in life, never sinned. And here's what we find out. I could never have figured this out on my own. Apparently, one completely sinless person can stand in the place of an entire trillions of humans who've always sinned. 
To me, I don't know how that works, but in God's mind, it does. One completely sinless human, Jesus, substituted himself in our place, took all of the punishment on himself for us. And God goes, there, we're good. We're never gonna think about that again. Come be part of my family. That was God's plan. Again, how do you not get goosebumps when you realize how much God has forgiven you and multiply you by the trillions of people who have ever lived in history, past, present, future? God's willing to forgive all of us and adopt us into his family. That is amazing, and that's important because we can't do that. Again, no matter how hard you try, you can't make up and make restitution for all the things you've done wrong. And God says, I don't even want you to feel like you have to do that. I did it for you. Now, come on, let's be friends. And we're not going to go any further into it, but Paul does. That's why I invite you. Maybe go read this on your own later. Not only does Jesus substitute himself for us, making us sinless, he goes a step further. Because I know this is something I've worried about. I know in talking to you, it's something you've worried about. So like, okay, Jesus forgives all my sins, but what if I get to heaven and I sin again? Like, do I get kicked out of heaven? No. When you accept Jesus, you hit the water and you get immersed into Jesus you start a process where Jesus literally teaches you how to be sinless. Go ahead, I gave you substitutionary sacrifice. Let me give you another really long S word. It's called sanctification. It's just literally the process of making you into a perfect, sinless, holy people. It takes your entire life. It's not really complete till you die and Jesus comes back. But one thing you don't need to worry about is if you're gonna sin in heaven. It's not that you can't, it's just that you won't. It won't even occur to you. Or if it did, it'd be like, no. Now, you feel like, today, that's not me. Well, no, it's maybe not your reality today, but it eventually will be. When you accept Jesus, it's just part of it. So, and we're not gonna go any further into that. Let's just go ahead and keep going because we got a little bit more to cover here. So God's purpose, reconcile us. His plan substitutes himself in our place for our sins. Okay, well, let's talk about God's team. That would be us. Okay, you got your piece of paper there? Instead of writing the word us, feel free to write your own name down there. Chad, Alex. Clayton, it, just write your name down there because God's team is us. And you started looking around going, uh, really? <laughs> I don't know about this. Has he really thought this all the way through? I don't know if you've thought about this, but I'm sorry, this thing's popping a lot. You literally are authorized to speak on God's behalf. I sometimes get frustrated because people will use my name like, well, Brian said. Well, Brian never said, but, you know, nice for playing. But God literally says, you can speak on my behalf. You can say, God says, your sins are forgiven. You're writing a check on God's account, and he'll cash it. You ever thought about it? You can say to another human being, your sins are forgiven by God, and God will honor that if they accept him. It's just it. You know, I don't know who you're voting for Tuesday. I really don't care. I just want the political ads to stop for, like, two days, right? I'm voting for Pedro personally, because Pedro offers me his protection. Do we have that? There we go. I'm voting for him. God gives you, like, permission. Like, this, let's go back to this verse, verse 18. It says, God's given us. I want you, by the way, as I read these verses, just look for how many times it says we and us. We're the team. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. God gave us this wonderful message. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You, make eye contact with me, you are God's representative in your cul-de-sac and in your work group and with your employees and with the people that you eat lunch with at school and, you know, your family, the ones you like and the ones you don't. You're, you know, as we were talking with somebody before church, 
people know you're a Christian, you're representing God whether you want to or not, and everything you do has the potential to move them closer to God or drive them further away, not to mention your ability to invite them to come to church and hear the gospel message. You know, this is just amazing. Pastor Rick Warren, you probably heard of him. He says, we have this opportunity to represent the king of kings to people in our lives. It's a privilege to serve as an ambassador for a government, but it's a much, much bigger privilege to represent the creator of the universe to our friends and our family and our neighbors, along with those who live on the other side of the planet. God could have written the good news in the sky. Instead, he's chosen to share it through us. And if we don't share it, who will? Let that sink in. If you don't speak up, if you don't invite someone to services, if you don't say, hey, we're having this Christmas thing, I want you to be there, who is it that's going to tell them? Maybe God put you in that person's life because he knows you're the person to do the inviting. You're the person to do the talking. You're the person who has the influence. You're the one that they trust. And if you're not doing it, who's going to do it? Who's going to tell them that God wants to adopt them into his family and forgive their sins and they don't have to walk around with this overpowering sense of guilt and shame every single day and to live with fear of what's going to happen and it's going to be okay. It's your privilege. Don't walk out of here feeling guilt. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I want you to consider what an incredible thing it is God trusts you. I still don't know why he trusts me. I honestly don't. On my best day, like what? I'm willing to step aside and let somebody else start talking for a while. Believe me. But as long as God says, get up there and talk, I'll do it. And you just be thankful that I'm doing this because then if, if I don't, you have to. So, so just talk to your friends. Get them here, and I'll talk to them when they're up here. And i got to point out one more thing before I get to the practical stuff because I wish I didn't have to say this, but I do. Apparently, it does need to be said. When you literally speak for God, you need to represent him well. It's an awesome responsibility to say God said. Don't let your actions and your words be contradictory. We didn't read this before, but we're going to go ahead and put this on the screen. This is 2 Corinthians 5.14. This is before we started reading. Okay, what does it say? Christ's love compels us. Let's just go ahead and play this game of what does it not say. Does it say Christ's judgment compels us? How about his, um, his anger? Christ's anger compels us. How about his disgust with fallen humanity? Christ's his disgust compels us. How about uh, his, um, his judgment? No. Let's go ahead and say it again. Christ's love compels us. Which then, I think about that, if God loves everybody, and I get it, by the way, how frustrating, sometimes I'm frustrated with myself, I'm frustrated with the people around me, like, you see the symptoms of fallen humanity every day, and you go like, why are you doing that? It's like you're banging your head against the wall. Why are you doing these idiotic, sinful things? Why are people hurting each other? And I know it's frustrating to see what people who are far from God do. It's frustrating to see what we do in our own lives. But we are God's ambassadors. We're not speaking on our own behalf anymore. We're speaking for him. If God is not yelling at people, you shouldn't be yelling at people either. I know that our culture shows all these signs of being far from God. And um, I got to ask you. How do you plan on being God's ambassador when no one wants to talk to you because you are so harsh and judgmental? Nobody likes a lecture. Nobody wants to feel like they are less than. That's not a great way to start a conversation. Believe me, I'm not like saying you're doing this. I'm just having a conversation with us saying some things that I think the larger Christian world needs to hear. People don't want to listen to you when you're just being hangry and harsh and judgmental all the time. That's not a great way to find common ground. 
And I'm not just talking about the words that we say. Sometimes we say things on social media that we would never say to someone's face. Twitter is a toxic cesspool. I don't even know why I'm on there, but I get, you know, just some things that I do like to follow that are on there. Otherwise, people say the worst things on Facebook posts. And you know, I just want the next time you get ready to repost something on social media, would you just think, I'm God's ambassador. Would he say this? Does he need me to say this? Is this the kind of attitude that I need to be expressing towards other people? Caleb Kaltenbach, he's a pastor, he says this. This is actually from Twitter. This is one of the good things that came out. He asked the question, are you struggling with a loved one who's making life choices that you disagree with? Okay, well, then fill in this blank with their name. I think we've got a, maybe it's not on the screen. I'll just tell you what he said. What would I be willing to do to keep and build influence with, put somebody's name in there. Just right now, go ahead. Think of somebody that you don't agree with the life choices they're making. Maybe they're far from God, whatever. What would you do to build influence with them? Let me ask you this. How far would you be willing to go to keep and build influence with that person? The starting point to sharing the news of Jesus. Pastor Kerry Newhoff up in Canada says this. When someone attends our churches, they're hoping to find Jesus. And underneath of it all, they're hoping to find love. But too often, what they tell us they actually find at church is self-righteousness, judgment, arrogance, indifference, and it's heartbreaking. And I just love this. He said, if God so loved the world... Who gave Christians permission to hate it? If people are looking for love, not judgment, and judgment is a terrible evangelism strategy. It just That's Jesus' job. He will judge the earth. <laughs> he didn't ask us to do that. He has to be ambassadors. Now, in case you're starting to feel like I'm really, I'm not mad at you, I think Connection does a wonderful job of trying to say, let's find those common ground areas where we can just start a conversation about Jesus. And I love it that I can bring anybody to my church. And I know you are going to do a great job of welcoming them, making them feel at home, helping them feel like there's a place that they belong, helping them understand that God loves them, that God is for them, not against them. I think that you do an awesome job at all of that. And then I think we're also a good balance of truth and love, where we tell the truth to each other. This is an area where you need to grow up. This is not acceptable to God. But let's first of all get them in here. Let's hug them. Even I'm not a hugger. I'm sorry. That's a, I shouldn't use that analogy. <laughs> let's let them know that they, feel, that they are a part of God's family. And now once you're accepted, let's talk about the things that need to change. We never get to that conversation if they don't even want to have anything to do with us. Well, let me give you two specific challenges. I'm going to close this out because I believe you want to do something with this. Give me five names. And I mean that literally. You don't have to literally give them to me, but I want you to get five names. You can write them on your worship folder. Think of five people who are not currently connected to God, family, friends, workmates, whatever. Write the first name down, and just now, from today forward, just start praying for them. You'd be amazed how many opportunities you get to share your faith or to invite someone to a service when you just simply have them in your mind every day and pray for them. Would you do that? I think you will. Five names. And then when you've brought all five of them to church by Christmas, and I think you will, you get another five names. Give me five names. Here's This one's a little more practical. Uh, give me five minutes. What I mean by that is five minutes before the church service starts and we're out here drinking coffee and talking, five minutes after the service stops. Some of you, you've been here a few weeks or a few years, you know some people. And it's very tempting, and it's fine, that we talk to the people we already know and that we like, Will you give me those five minutes to talk to somebody you don't know? It could be somebody who just literally showed up this Sunday. It could be somebody that you just don't know, and you've seen them for a while, and it's getting kind of awkward because I should know, but I don't. 
just five minutes to say, uh, first I'll talk to them, and then I'll talk to the other people that are around here. And if you're like here and like, I've been here two, three weeks, do I have a target on my back now? No, you're deputized as much as anybody to turn around and, and make somebody else feel part of connection. If you like it here, help somebody else stick around. Let me just ask a question. What happens when you keep the chain going? When you get to church and then you bring somebody else with you? Amazing things happen. Somebody kept the chain going and got you here. This, uh, we're going to show here in a video in just a second. This is Pastor Jeff Walling. Back when I was, way back when I was a student minister and a student myself, I would hear him preach at youth conferences. He just had a way of teaching and preaching that was amazing. I'd never heard anything like it before. It's a Church of Christ preacher who just, wow, so many people became Christians from his influence. Now, on this video, he thinks he's coming in to say thank you to a Christ and Youth Organization. What he doesn't know is he's about to be thanked himself. Go ahead and watch this. And, and pop this side. Take one. Take wow, 50 years. <laughs> and after all that, who would I say thank you to for, for connecting me with CIY? Oh, man, don't make me pick one. I, I mean, first off, I... Actually, Jeff, hold on, hold on one second. Yep. Uh, let's just let's keep rolling. Uh, we, get, we get actually somebody else who needs to say thank you. Hey Jeff, my name is Lance Stockton. I'm a student pastor at White River Christian Church. And uh, actually I'm here today to say thank you to you. Uh, so 18 years ago, 1999, I attended my first CIY event ever as a freshman in high school. But I heard the gospel in a way that I had never heard before. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church and so uh, for me, that was a week that just rocked my world, and uh, it changed my eternity. He started to get into the presentation of the gospel, and uh, it was like I'd, I had seen a ghost. Like, I, I'd heard that before, and uh, <laughs> I looked up, and I couldn't get my eyes off. It was like you and I were sitting in that room together, just the two of us again. And, uh, you know, having been there in 1989 and then in 2016 sitting there listening to you, um, it was awesome because not only was I experiencing that again, but had students that I've been praying for sitting next to me. And uh, one in particular was sitting right next to me and heard the same message uh, that I probably heard in 1999 and 2016. And uh, actually, uh, he's here with me wants to say thank you as well. So. It's nice to meet you. I'm Sean Vitalis. Hi, Sean. Good to meet you. Um, I was in the sixth grade and choosing to go to CIY holds a large place in my heart as one of the best decisions I ever made. One of those nights that we were there, you spoke to us and that speech set a big part of my life into motion. <laughs> Later that night in service, we were able to sign a sticker, put it on a door outside of the worship center, and then we could walk through the door as a devotion to our lives with Christ. I made the choice to devote myself to God that night and I, along with three other sixth grade guys, walked through the door as changed people. Until this day, I still believe that making the choice to go to CIY Mix was one of the best choices of my life. If I hadn't made the decision to go to CIY three years ago and be able to hear your speech, my life would not be the same as it is today. I thank you for all of the work that you've done with CIY and for all of the kids that you've changed for the better, just like me. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. There were people that you guys don't know. There were youth leaders and speakers who did that for me. And so any good thing you got out of this, and you did, 
is just this huge parade of people telling Jesus' story. So I just, I'm so grateful for your thanks. But I'm going to hold you responsible <laughs> to be on a CIY stage somewhere, sometime, sharing your testimony, giving a lesson. And then when you least expect it, you'll be curtain and man, sitting in a chair and some punk kid will come out from behind a curtain and make you cry like a little girl. And so just be ready for that too, because that's part of it. Um, you guys are part of a wonderful parade that goes all the way back to the apostles. And it's an honor for me to join you guys in that same parade. Thank you both. I look forward to seeing what God's God's going to do in your ministries and in CIY in these next 50 years. Man, you guys are part of that same parade. Who are you going to bring? And if you're not currently a part of God's family, if you say, I just, I'm not even there, you can be. We're always ready to help anybody say yes to Jesus, to be reconciled to God, to go and obey him by being immersed in water. Sign your name on the wall along with all the other Connection Christians who've been baptized as part of this church, said yes to Jesus. Today's a great day to do that. 